Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Nick Saveri. I'm Mike Leon. We're here today just to talk about a series of different conversations. We, for each of these conversations, we take one theme and we sort of just do a deep dive into it. And our focus for our focus for, for this for this first episode is around it's around the media. Um, so the idea, so the just for everyone, the way we're going to break this up is that um, we have just a series of questions. And for this episode, I'm going to more or less come off as more the moderator because. You know, this is a field in the media that Mike can speak to just really from an exciting perspective at the ground level. So this is really going to be about just Mike's, in, about Mike's insights, a lot of questions I have, um, and in the hope of understanding the current climate we live in, to be honest, from a political standpoint, from these different fields. Um, Mike, I think as we get into this theme of the media, um, I think it'd be a great place to begin with you just talking about your role in it like how from now just for everyone Mike and I've known each other since college you know we both went to Rutgers University good school exactly um so we Mike you're a graduate what year did you graduate uh oh four and I just wanted to point out for the podcast uh, Nick's a couple years older than me so he said guys in his 40s I'm not there yet so uh I just want to point that out That's a very, Mike's absolutely right. Yeah, I am, I'm going to be 42 November 18th. So I am a little, little ahead of Mike. I am in, a member of Club 40. Maybe one day we'll do an episode about, about being a member of Club 40. I'll be, there next, I'll be there next year. Yeah. There you go. So, um, but yeah, Mike and I had met at, at Rutgers, became friends that way. And thankfully, we've been able to just keep in contact um, wherever our lives have taken us professionally. Uh, Mike, you come to us right now from Miami. So Mike, let's go, just going to you. Um, if you can, just sort of take us on the, the tour, really. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the media landscape is just, it's so funny and interesting to me as somebody who's, I've been working in television for close to 20 years now, um, since I graduated, actually about 16 years, because um, I did a bunch of internships at radio stations in college. Um, my first job was, you know, through the campus television station, RUTV. But in between that and now I've worked at, you know, everywhere from like Discovery and HBO and, and then in actual news at Fox News um, and, and even some brief stops, you know, in sports at ESPN. Um, but for the, fo for the focus of this podcast, we're really talking about the way the media is right now in the news landscape, you know, so really like a broad stroke of how the media has started where it started, you know, originally with print media um, and then, you know, became more uh, publicized through radio and then all of a sudden the advent of television and then you move into the digital age, right? And so news over that time has kind of evolved with it. Um, whereas before, you know, you get your paper and that's how you're getting your news. You know, you have one radio station and, and you have an anchor that you may trust there. Same thing, you know, with, with news where it was just, you know, seven channels on the dial and everyone's trusting Walter Cronkite for their nightly news. Now it's different, you know, it's oversaturated. Um, and there's so much controlling interest in, in the media at all these different places. You know, um, we're going to talk a little bit later on the podcast about the big three in the news division, which is, you know, MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News and their roles in, in all of this and, and where everybody thinks they are from the left center and right perspective. But the way news has really evolved is, is crazy to me watching it as somebody who worked in it uh, for a few years because, you know, you're sitting there not really listening to the, the, the content, more of creating the content and working to meet deadlines. And now as you step back, and I work now on music television, which is even funnier um, because it's so different from news television. But now I sit back and I watch the news as somebody having been in those control rooms and building those over the shoulder animations and full screen graphics or, you know, writing those nightly news cut ins at the top and bottom of hours. And I start to think and it's just like, man, were we really giving the consumers the right information, right? So how we started news was always trusted, right? It was always your local anchor man, you know, at the 11 o'clock hour, they've got pressing stories and the way a news segment is built and the way the, the entire program is built is in blocks, right? The A block is your most important stories. And then there's a commercial break, a B block, maybe there's a guest in that block, a C block, uh, and then a D block to fill your entire half hour show. Um, and news is just kind of, really in this digital age, it's just evolved into this big money-making machine because especially in, the, in, in this age of Trump that we'll touch on later on, like we're, everyone just wants to get more news content. And now what you're seeing is people are getting news from different sources. Social media is playing such a big influence. And now it's a pay-for-click business as opposed to what it was before, which, which is just actually informing people. So um, it's crazy to me how, how news has evolved over, you know, just the last 20 years from when I got out of college in 2004 to now, you know, because uh, it wasn't so much of pushing content onto social platforms and getting more engagement from customers and being able to get your message out more. It was more of 
that primetime programming, you know, at Fox News is where I worked at, you know, they had O'Reilly, Hannity, and then Greta. So that eight to 10 window, you're selling against advertisers just from a linear perspective. Now it's, you're selling the entirety of it. So the entire show on linear, then you're pushing it out to social platforms and to YouTube, you're monetizing from that. And then you're chopping up your show into segments and pushing it out through Twitter and, and, then, and then you get content, uh, um, you make advertising dollars, excuse me, in that perspective. So the, the whole business has, has really changed. And it's, it's kind of like that movie from HBO, The Too Big to Fail about the banks and the crisis that happened in 08 and 09. News is too big to fail right now. It's just too big um, from a consumption standpoint. It's too big that these organizations have you know, built these news divisions and these elaborate sets and the anchors are paid uh, and everyone thinks that a lot of things are politically driven and that's where the dollars come from. And so what I really wanted to talk about in this podcast is like breaking down the media and what people uh, when they go to get news, it, it, why aren't they trusting it? W- is it coming from a place of distrust? What is it that the media is doing wrong? And that's what we really wanted to kind of dive into today. And so um, when I sit back and look at the entirety of it, it's crazy to me of how it's evolved, but also it's kind of lost its way a little bit. And, and, and is there a way to bring it back? I'm not sure, but we're going to talk about it. When you think about, and, we, and as we talked about before, you have the opportunity to you you operate from a place where you've been in the newsrooms a variety of different and, and you know in different um in different spaces can you separate yourself for a moment from the version of yourself as a consumer of news you know what what was your perception versus the person that you now are as, as someone who sort of lived that experience broken through the fourth wall whatnot what was it like sort of pre pre being in um, being in the field, like what were your perceptions? What were your takeaways from all of it? And how has that evolved now as you've been, um, as you've been really in it for, for over a decade? You know, it's, that's a great question because I'm thinking back at like journalism classes that I had and, and when we used to shoot things. And so one of the things that I used to watch back then was like Real Sports with Brian Gumbel or, or some type of uh, show like that, like a 60 minutes and the walk and talks that are done, you know, for scenery and background. And then you're actually interviewing them where you come in and out of the, the cue point of when that person's actually talking. What's the soundbite that you want to, to have um, be the, the resonating thing that everybody thinks about uh, when they hear that person talk, you know, because most of the time when people are doing interviews, it's going to be, you know, five, six, seven minutes in length. And then you're really snipping out maybe a 10, 15 second soundbite from that. Right. So I think about my times in, in journalism class. And then now I transition into in 04, 05 and, and, and a little bit into 06 where I'm working at Fox News. And I'm thinking about the times we're in the newsroom and we have a bunch of TVs in the control rooms and we're looking up to see what CNN's airing when MSNBC is covering because the way the news is built at, at Fox, right? There's, and they may, they may still have this, it's called top line. 
um, and it's probably evolved the technology, but basically it's an automated alert system that comes from the assignment desk. So let's say there's a, a, a car chase in California. We would get a top line alert that everybody would see in their systems that says there's a car chase. And this is the, this is the video feed of where you can download that car chase. And then we can either have the producer of that show could say, you know what, let's break in with this, come back with a Fox News alert. So you know, those, those big alerts that you hear at the top of the hour, CNN has the CNN breaking news, and those type of alerts, right, a director will call that. And so now the people that are watching, you know, and you, you think about waiting rooms where people are watching it, the sounds a little bit lowered, but all of a sudden you hear that boom, and you hear that alert, it's almost like Pavlov's dog. And now people are turning to see, and they hear a news alert, and now you're bringing them that that news of the day, right? But we were always playing against when there isn't breaking news of what are the other two doing, right? What is CNN covering? What is MSNBC covering? Do we want to go our own way? Now I sit back and I'm watching, right? So now the evolution years later and I'm watching CNN because I know what happens between seven to 10, right? Those are the opinion shows, right? Um, the one thing I wanna talk about is like, there's opinion journalism and then there's news journalism, right? The news, and I tell people this all the time, the news that you wanna watch when you wanna watch CNN, Fox, MSNBC, watching the daytime hours between like nine to 11, because they're actually covering relevant topics. There's less guests. They don't do the, the the dual box or the three box where it's like one Democrat, one Republican shouting at each other or, or, or a contentious interview. It's really more news of the day. You know, the House is passing this bill and then we bring on our White House correspondent, things like that. But when you get into the primetime hours where they know they're going to get more of their viewership, people are home now, right? The television living room ex viewing experience, um, those shows are more contentious in nature, but they're also wrapped in opinion with some mild journalism. You know, the, the, the Tucker Carlson's, the Sean Hannity's, Rachel Maddow's, Chris Cuomo, Don Lemon, you know, the run the gamut of the big three. And those people are all kind of inf in inflicting their own uh, opinion into the show when it's created. I want this guest. I'm going to talk about this. They're going to drive the direction of the, of the show in its entirety, you know? And so it's, it's a little bit different because now, you know, the producers in those control rooms, they're not looking at what MSNBC is doing or what CNN is doing from seven to 10. They know what they're doing. Fox News is covering, you know, whatever it is they're covering that's at a slant against Democrats. CNN and MSNBC are covering whatever's the news of the day, but at a slant, some would perceive against Republicans. So um, it, it's, it's just funny to me that like, Everyone sees what's wrong with the picture, but no one actually wants to do anything about it because the monetization part of it, right? We're making money off this. So why would we stop the money from coming in? You know, if we mess this up and actually turn into, there's a line in Aaron Sorkin's newsroom, like let's, let's turn this into real news, you know, where Jeff Daniels is like, I know we're in like almost last place, but, but we, at, at some point we got to give people the actual news. Well, unfortunately, nobody watches the actual news for that, right? What gets the most traffic and engagement is when Jake Tapper has on Lara Trump and she says something, you know, that could be perceived as crazy. Um, whenever there's Jason Miller, the White House communications director is on with like George Stephanopoulos, those are going to get more clicks through all the ways that they push them out on social platforms. So it's just become a, a behemoth. And, and 
they it's 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 wash rinse repeat for the news unfortunately and and at the detriment of the consumers which is us you know so mike something that came to me is i think of the analogy of professional wrestling as silly as it sounds like you have people who've you know been in that role and they talk about you know other wrestlers that they are friends with they've worked with and like the idea of like all right yeah we did that stuff in the ring but like off stage here's who we are right right does that analogy hold true at all in in terms of um television in terms of television media or in terms yeah. of television news yeah i get what you're getting at and it's like you know is hannity like that off air is, is yeah. bill o'reilly like that off air you know you know at the end of the day everyone's a person right look these guys these guys come into the office you know early in the days you know they got an they got an 8 9 p.m show you know riley used to pre-tape his show at six he would be in the building at 10 o'clock um and and they're working on the full week right they have rundown meetings with with their producers and the pas that are working on those shows this is what we're going to cover monday through friday right and then during the day you know, they're writing their scripts to what they want to talk about, what gets, what's get Fred in the teleprompter, right? Um, they're doing what they think is actual journalism, right? And, and it's in the context of building a show, because at some point, the show becomes so big that your audience has this expectation of you, right? So just to give context, right? Like, if you watch Anderson Cooper 360, Every night, he does a similar segment to what O'Reilly used to do in the beginning, which was this no spin zone. And it's like an eight minute, you know, insanely focused and, and kind of zoomed in about one issue. And he's trying to like keep them honest. So Anderson Cooper calls his segment, keeping them honest, right? Where he'll play sound bites about a pressing topic of the day and he'll talk about it and give a little monologue. And then, you know, they either go into a guest or he goes to a commercial break. These guys are pre-plotting their shows throughout the week, right? And it's only, things are pre-plotted probably in the B, C, D blocks, like I mentioned before in that same format. And if it's for an hour, there could be an F block, G block. But the A block they save because they know top of the hour, eight o'clock, you know, seven o'clock, nine o'clock, people are, are tuning in. So what's the most pressing thing that we're going to talk about? Well, is there something that's pressing right now? Um, in, in the world? Is there something that's pressing here domestically? What can we put in that position? And, and these guys come off the air and they're not like that. You know, they're not guys and gals, you know, because like I said, I used to work with Greta as well. And, and she had been at CNN before then and she went to Fox. I think now she's, I think she's at MSNBC. So she's been around the entire landscape, right? And so they, they know at some point that they're speaking to the audience, right? You have your convictions and your beliefs. I think we all see it on them wearing their emotions on a sleeve, especially like the Chris Cuomo, Don Lemons and where they stand. And then same thing with Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow, right? Either on right or left. When they come off of that though, it's like when you're talking with them and I, and I, I kind of fault myself, you know, being 24, 25, 26, working in that news environment, I never really got into like a deep conversation with any of them. Hey, you know, do you really believe in some of this stuff that you're, that you're saying, you know, like, uh, and now I look at, remember sh shows have bookers, right? So you got a book guest and I laugh because I watch CNN's guest and you know, it's, it's, they run through the rotation of 
it's called a car. We used to call it a car wash at ESPN where it's like that one guest will go on like 10 shows for that day. You know, whereas here they have people that are on call that they're going to call for these different shows. It could be in the morning, could be in the evening. But I just laugh at like Fox News is ones that appear on Hannity are just, you know, some of the TV doctors that appear on it. And you're just like, is that really giving vital information to people, you know, and I think, you know, Ted Koppel said it to, it was either Ted Koppel or Peter Jennings before he passed about, they said it to Hannity, like, I don't like your style of journalism because you're just giving people your opinion, but you're wrapping it in this context of I'm giving you news. And it's like, no, that's, that's your interpretation of the news. You're just reciting back what you think is news. And that's what, you know, I kind of, uh, it's hard for me to like take, separate them from that even though I know how they are, at least from the Fox perspective, off camera. So it's very tough because I know they're not like that. But then I see the person that they are on camera between nine to 10. And it's like, it's so much, at least disinformation that has been factually, uh, you know, disproven through other sources and methods that you're just like, why would this person go through that length to do that? as a disservice to the people. And so that's why I think news is, we really have to look at news in two silos because it's really like, and not so much daytime and nighttime, but it's more of like, here's the actual news, but you can find it in small chunks. And then what everybody watches is the opinion news. And it's these anchors that they trust, right? But just in a different way than you trusted Walter Conkright, because Walter Conkright was reading uh, to you a piece of paper of says, you know, uh, President Kennedy was shot today. Here's the facts of the day, right? Sean Hannity's not breaking any news like that, right? <laughs> so at nine o'clock, he's giving you, you know, this is what's going on with Hunter Biden scandal. And uh, let's bring on Rudy Giuliani, you know, like it's a slanted perspective. And that's whether whether it doesn't matter what side of the political argument you are for that. It's more of that's already at a slant. And I'm already coming to it knowing that he's already over there. And that's not fair to the, to the viewer. You know, it should be, there's a, there's a friend of mine that lives in Germany told me about, they have this morning show called the Tagala show, I believe it is. And it's just like a three hour, all news, no guests, just anchors reading the news of the day. It does okay in the ratings. It sounds boring, but is that is at least more informative than what we're doing right now with some of this opinion journalism. And it's not, when I think about like you and I going back to, you know, the school communications at Rutgers and some of our professors there, especially Professor Miller, who, you know, is uh, well known throughout the campus and, and has launched so many different uh, journalism careers. Natalie Morales went to Rutgers Journalism School, you know, former uh, Today Show host. Like there's, there's just uh, Becky Quick that's at CNBC. Like, I, I'm curious as to what they all think when they see uh, this type of journalism, at least the opinion journalism, and it's just separated from the news and it's taken as fact, you know, it's tough. So I have a two part question. One is, what do you do when you are presented with opinion news? What, what talents, strengths, whatever you have, sort of filter it to get it down to like, actually, what is the news that's being discussed? Like, what is your skill set there? How do you do that? And then the second part is, where do you go or what do you do to really get to the information or the new, the, I keep using this word news, but I'll use it for this, for just this, for this conversation, but to get to actually what's going on. Right. Unfiltered, unbiased and whatnot. 
what do you do to sort of feed that need for information that you have? Those like as a consumer, you mean, right? Yeah. Um, you want to get away from the big three. I always tell people AP, you know, Reuters, NPR. Um, some people don't trust Bloomberg because he, you know, he does own, but he keeps the news division separate, but Bloomberg news, Al Jazeera news. Um, there's other multiple, uh, ways to consume news content that's out there. And I just think that people are at least, especially in America, Right. And I use I use the word lazy to define our search, not so much the way we are as people. You know, if I see a story as I'm scrolling through Twitter, because Twitter has this immense engine as somebody now who works in the product space of the digital landscape. Right. How do we make the product better and how do we drive engagement? How do we get people to use it more, not leave our app? Right. Twitter does this great job of curating this feed for you, right? So you come into the app and there's a feed of things that people like, things that people retweeted, things that people you follow have tweeted or retweeted themselves. So people find their news within that because sometimes there's a Washington Post quote from in there, there's a Washington Times article, there's an LA Times article, there's a, there's a New York Post article, and people are clicking on those, right? So that's driving the advertising profit machine for those companies. And they're getting their news like that. So they're kind of getting it from all over the place, but they're not taking the time, like I said at the beginning, to kind of source it. You know, as a journalist, you know, um, or at least as a journalism major, no longer a journalist, you know, you're always taught, you know, you got to get two sources, you know, on or off the record, and then you can print your story, right? And so we're not doing that same thing the way we consume this, right? We're, we're, we're trusting one source, one ideology for all intensive purposes of the way that news has been presented to us. And then, and then verbatim repeating it back to people in our immediate circles. And we're, we're taking the facts of that without actually confirming that these are facts, <laughs> you know? And so for me personally, it, it what I try to do is look, I, I can't even lie. I'm a victim of the Twitter vacuum and how the people that I follow and, and the news that they circulate from there. The difference is, is that, you know, everyone's always had that slogan of like, believe half of what you read on the internet. Right. So you gotta either trust or distrust the source. And if you distrust, then prove why you're distrusting it by searching out another article that's written. You know, the other thing is, is that op-ed pieces, right. Are mixed into this. People read an op-ed piece, but it's under the banner of Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and they think, did you see what the Times wrote about this? And it's like, yeah, but that's an op-ed piece, right? That is somebody's opinion. <laughs> uh, again, that's uh, wrapped in this journalistic sense and the same styling as an article so that people can interpret it as, well, this is the Wall Street Journal's opinion on this. This is the New York Times' opinion on this. And that's actually an opinion piece. So I think to answer your question, it's really like, as a consumer myself, I tell people, you don't want to watch the big three. You want to stay away from the big three. I'm not recommending it, but I'm saying if you are to do that, right, there are other sources out there. Reuters is a great source for for news information npr follow the associated press on twitter you know those are actual articles that are written by ap writers you know um uh, bloomberg news like i mentioned al jazeera if you want to follow actual television networks and stuff like that because there's so much there's so many that are on the right oan oan news newsmax 
there's so many that are on the left. You know, you, you feel like that way and there's political slants around it. Go to ones that you can trust to take out that political slant. Reuters, NPR, Associated Press are the three that I would recommend. It's funny because as you mentioned those, they're mostly print-based. Like you mentioned Al Jazeera. Al Jazeera, correct me if I'm wrong, television-based. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a linear network, but, but they've, all, they've all evolved to some type of digital offering. And Reuters, specifically now that I work in the product space of, of, of the technology of enhancements, right? Reuters has a tremendous app. And, and we can even get into some of that because Reuters, CNN, you know, as a product manager myself, like they think of ways to improve the user experience, right? Through the user interface. CNN does this thing, you know, when you click on an article, let's say you click on it and you come in from Twitter or you find it organically on a Google search and you come in, right? They'll do a thing where a pop-up appears and says, do you want us to summarize the news for you? You know, like if you click on it and you dive down this rabbit hole, it's like, well, do you want us to summarize it? How much time do you have per day? And then they kind of give you the important news based on an algorithm that they're building, right? Reuters does something similar when you download their app. You know, I encourage people to download it if you have time. It's it's pretty cool engaging app, but it's also, they can summarize it for you. It's meant for people on the go, commuter audience that really wants to just get news in like a five, 10, 15 minute, a vacuum. Um, but yeah, these, these all started as for all intents of what, not NPR, obviously, because radio is in the acronym, but they all started as kind of print radio uh, and have all now seen the behemoth that news has become. And hey, how can we monetize this? The digital offering is a huge way to do that. I think about where we are now in the age of Trump and what does that mean? To journalism, because a, pr a premise I do offer oftentimes is that it does feel like journalism, the seeking of information, sharing of it, uh, does seem under attack. So coming to you, just going back to you now in the age of Trump, what does that mean for what you're seeing in the landscape of, of the way news is reported? So I think about a couple of examples in, in this 2016 to 2020 vortex, right? You know, Donald Trump has been tweeting since Twitter existed, right? Has anyone besides during his presidency, has anybody gone back to see his tweets from previous years besides pointing to what it speaks to right now in time? No one has really done that. He's been tweeting for years prior to this, right? No one was really paying attention. But for years in the 90s and 2000s, he always got what he felt was bad publicity from the page sixes of the New York, you know, world. And he would always lash out at that. You know, I'm, I'm being misquoted, I'm being mistreated. Uh, nobody's treated as unfairly as me. What's happened now uh, with Donald Trump being president and in this age of Trump from a communication standpoint and, and journalism standpoint is a couple things, right? The first thing is, is that he's the first president that has kept his own cell phone, right? I mean, again, <laughs> how often have presidents kept their own phones they're supposed to turn over a lot of this equipment just for security purposes but he's it's allowed him to keep his own um phone to be able to communicate with people through the social platform that he chooses to right so he feels like he can reach the mass audience there to kind of uh, swat down anything that's being said by somebody else it gives him an ability to combat right the second problem is now in the age of trump right and I think I've talked to you about this offline, right? And I have a conversation with a friend of mine at work 
And we're just not meeting at a basic fact. And I told him, I'm like, look, if we can't meet at the sky is blue, the sun is yellow, we can't have a conversation because those are the baseline facts we have to start with. In the age of Trump, what's happened is, and you saw this, if you remember, in the Republican primaries when Trump was about to become the nominee and Newt Gringrich was on CNN with Alison Camerata and he says to her, she gives him a fact and he said, that's your fact. I'll roll with my opinion, you know, because my opinion will carry, he didn't say this, I'm giving this context now. My opinion will carry more with my constituency versus your fact. The problem with that sentence, if we break it down is, is that, we're disputing what's an actual fact. And that's the problem. You know, in this age of Trump, um, people can say, that's your fact, I don't believe that. As opposed to, no, that is a fact, you should believe it. You know, if you look at the way the pandemic has been politicized, right? And I have, you know, these arguments with people all the time and it's more of like, we're, we're speaking about facts, but we're using them to interpret right? Or at least drive the way we're making our argument towards you. So you're kind of like, you know, distilling it a little bit where it's like, I can, I can make any, I can fudge any number to look the way I want it to look to kind of prove my argument right. And I think that's the problem that Trump has kind of created because prior to this, while Obama tweeted, it was his social media team, right? And it's always either positive things or promoting something on whitehouse.gov, like a press conference or things like that. Um, it was never in this form of, you know, retweeting things that aren't vetted, right? Or tweeting out, you know, one line sentence things that will just spark people on both sides of the argument to say, can you believe this? Or people are like, yeah, that's, that's what I like. And that's kind of what endeared him to people as he rose through the primaries and ultimately to the nomination. It was that this uncuff, somebody that's not a part of the political systems, somebody that comes from a business acumen. You know, people have told me all the time, you know, the reason I voted for him was because of his business acumen. And I just want to vote for somebody that's not a career politician. I want to try something different, right? So this, this age of Trump has really done those two things, right? It's, it's the way he has made people discredited before they even speak. You know, that is fake news. Those, those people uh, never give me a fair shot, never give me a fair shake. And he, by the way, he is unbiased when he does it to everybody. He has done it to Fox News with some of the polls. He has done it to CNN. Obviously, we all know MSNBC and the acronym that he gives them. He, he has done it to every sec, section of the media, whether in press conferences. And he does this to discredit, right? So it's almost like, well, I can't trust that person because they've already been labeled as such. So even if they were to write something positive or negative, people are still uh, dissecting the facts and saying, I don't trust that fact. To say that sentence again, that you don't trust a fact, it's a fact. It, 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 uh, it's my, like, I can't believe I have to say that to people uh, that you're, you're distrusting a fact, something that's actually proven, right? You know, the, the word Apple starts with a letter A and there are people that are saying, I don't know about that. You know, I think it starts with a P and it's like, 
I, I'm sorry, we cannot have this conversation if we can't meet at this is a fact, not this is your fact, this is my fact. And I think Trump has kind of done that, at least in this in this age, and no other politician, you know, um, why, why, why I may hate giving him credit for this, no other politician has really done this where he's a kind of um, mobilized, right, uh, a litany of people to just use social media and to trust that as its only source to combat against the actual journalism that's going on from people that either work at the big three, like we mentioned, or that they work at these other places and they're trying to, you know, actually give people the news of the day, uncover things, you know, going through sources, right, and identifying uh, and, and then writing up these things, taking it to your editor. Everybody know. I mean, people that don't work in the in the industry don't know that, you know, you got to get the stuff approved by an editorial board, you know, like the editors have to approve it before it gets pushed out there. It's not just a reporter going out there and doing it. But in this age of Trump now, it's, it, you know, and especially the blogs, the way people look at you and I creating a podcast. Uh, and again, we're not our source, we're not a source of truth for people for, for their news, nor should we be, right? And we've kind of prefaced that at the top, but people are going to different avenues for news and they're trusting their fact as opposed to the facts. And that's what the age of Trump has kind of created. It's created this this world of we're not trusting baseline facts that are presented to people and people are allowed to interpret it their way as opposed to interpreting it the way that this is a fact this is happening this is an actuality we're living through this and so you know you can you can spin it up as man he is brilliant in that sense because he knows what he's doing and like i mentioned before right the fake news all caps, right? That that gets printed on T-shirts. That becomes rally cries at, at the rallies, right? Uh, you know, any type of short sentence, even the locker up chants about Governor Whitmer, like things like that, become rally cries for people. And then you get the polarization effect where other people on the other side are like, "Can you believe this? This and that." So the age of Trump has really created that, um, and this this just mistrust of information that it's kind of thrown everything into chaos. And it doesn't help that the news already was on that way, almost like the Titanic, was already on that way to hit the iceberg because they're already so segmented into left, right, you know, or, or the appearance of middle. And, and, and nobody is really in that middle lane. And then you've got the seven to 10 blocks, the, the primetime blocks that are all opinion pieces. So now they can gravitate, and this is why Fox News, especially Hannity, the relationship he has with Trump, they can gravitate towards that and, and put this slant on it and it reaches four, five, six million people. They take that opinion as fact <laughs> and now they disseminate that to other people around them. So the age of Trump has really evolved into this like behemoth of how, you know, um, somebody who has come into power through legitimate means has been able to just really throw caution to the wind about how information is kind of not even, you don't even need to vet it anymore. And it's really done a disservice to our industry to, you know, and journalism majors that, you know, want to come in and say, I, I really want to write about the news, you know, but do I want to be discredited? And then the other part of it is we want to go back to professor Solomon. One of the things he said in one of our lectures on the first day of class was he, he does this thing where he says, who, who wants to make money? And everybody in the class raised their hand. He said, all right, get out because you're not going to make money in this profession. 
So, all right, I'm not going to make money already. And then if I do get to a position where I can make a little bit of money and I'm writing stories, I'm already being told that they're fake news or won't be trusted, may not be viewed, things like that. So the age of Trump has really produced um, such a widespread uh, distrust for a lot of things that people used to rely on and trust. Now I'm getting on my, my, my high horse, I guess, here, midsize. Um, if I, I would say, like, there's something that's been sitting with me for a while. And in, 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 in the internet age, it feels that, it feels like the de democratization of, of information, which is what seemed to be, I don't even know what the intended purpose of the internet was, to be honest. I mean, if we think about like how we got from whatever this was in terms of using telecommunications to spread information in a variety of different ways to where we are now, this idea that information is everywhere and whatever information I want to adopt is what I believe is fact, which is what you're getting at. Right. It's kind of left us all essentially in a place of, unless you've again built that internal mechanism that you and I talked about in terms of being able to filter, you know, fact versus opinion. Um, it le it leaves us in a place of where there's like sort of an attack on elites. I'll use the example of my wife. My wife's a doctor, and the number of times she's encountered people that have talked about, well, I read this somewhere. You know, and we use, and the perfect example is the Andrew Wakefield example of, of vaccines. Here's a discredited doctor who puts forward what was proven to be a essentially a flawed experiment, ex design experiment that proved that there was a link between vaccines and autism. It was discredited. He, of course, was lost his license and was basically being foolish. But that information still lives out there. And now it's evolved. And you have people that will look at this con connection. Um, and offline, I'll tell you, there's at least one friend you and I both have or were friends with who is an anti-vaxxer. And now you're in a place of like, well, my truth tells me this. And that is a complete argument against science, against what the preponderance of information tells us to be accepted fact. We're now in a place, at least in this country, and I do think it is in other places, but here it's very prominent, that the idea of freedom, that the ability to think freely, right. tells me to, as, you know, as former Congressman Gingrich put, um, I'll let my opinions, I'll let my viewpoints sort of dictate the path I take as opposed to accepting fact. Well, look, and, and, and we ask people, you know, in all walks of life, right, to act on their truths, right? You, you want, in the, in the doctor scenario, right, as a father, you know, obviously I believe in vaccines and you go out there and, but you ask the, the experts, right? Then you weigh that up and then you meet with your significant other and say, all right, what's the cost associated with this? Like we want people to do that in all walks of life, right? We ask jurors in the, in the criminal justice system to get presented all of the facts from both sides and then make an opinion, right? And, and, and an opinion that could cost somebody their life or it could cost somebody jail time or it could cost somebody, you know, you know, a big burden lifted off of their shoulders. So it's very tough because, you know, it's like I mentioned before, right? It's okay for people to kind of source everything, right? You see an article, do I trust that? Let me check another source, just like you would do with a doctor. Doc, my arm's broken. Here's one opinion. I'm going to get a second opinion, right? Those are, those are commonplace. No one is arguing about that. What we're arguing about is the x-ray shows your arm is broken. 
That's a fact, right? We're not acting. We're acting as if that x-ray is subject to interpretation. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem, right? Because doctors off of that x-ray will say, well, I would recommend this treatment or we could do surgery, this and that. That's different. Again, opinions. Now you've got to source them and come to your conclusion. But that's not what we're talking about. In this age of Trump now, it's that x-ray shows a broken arm. And it's like, uh, I mean, that's what you think it looks like. And it's like, no, that's actually what it looks like because that's a fact. And that's a, I think that's a huge uh, problem because... You know, when I have conversations with people about the political climate, right, a lot of it is, I'm always finding myself saying, where did you get that from? You know, where, where did you get that? Because I, I want to know where it was sourced from, you know, as a curious uh, always thinking in that journalistic sense, like, where'd you get that from? And then I want to research it myself, right? Because once I find out the source of something on YouTube or something through a social platform, right? Now it becomes, right? I can't let that person go out there and recite that to other people, right? And like you mentioned before about, you know, the experiment with the doctor, like that truth lives out there now, whether or not it's a truth and it's already been disproven, but it lives out there. People have digested it. People have now formed it as part of their, their truth, right? So I always try to say, where'd you get that from? Try to do the research on it and then go back and go, look, this is wrong because, and here's a litany of, of, of facts as to why, right? You can only give people the facts. At the end of the day, if, they, if they're saying, well, that's your fact, that's your fact, like, th- then you can't have a conversation with that person because we're not meeting at right here at this center point where this is actually a fact, right? And so that's, it's it's such a tough line and and journalism right now is at the forefront of that where it's like they feel at different news networks they're giving the facts but it's all subject to interpretation right mm-hmm. and it's and also they're playing to that audience that they know they already have tuning in on a nightly weekly basis right how do you get news you know because i'm in the business of how do you get new subscribers how do you get you know bigger retention like how do you get well if i if i'm already bleeding this base with these facts i got to find a way to pull in other people right and and that's where the journalism industry unfortunately is like how does it get better right because we're trying to give people facts and they're just like ah, i don't believe that that's your fact you know it's interesting because the, the broken arm analogy, I'm going to go ahead and coin it and such, is a fascinating concept because, you know, in a prognosis, it's like, okay, it is broken. There is no arguing of this. What you want to do about it is the conversation about multiple opinions. That makes sense. And if you apply it to a concept like climate change, it's like, okay, so this is what we know is truly happening. What do we want to do about it? And that's the conversation you can be in the space of. But when we operate from a place of like, but really, are things getting warmer? Like, is the climate actually changing in a way that has a negative impact on, on human civilization? And to not be able to agree on that is this broken arm analogy. And like, that's the place we seem to be stuck. I was like, we can't even agree on, I mean, you said it best, like talking about like the sky being blue. Like if we can't even start a common place like that, that everything um, sort of gets into that place. But now we're sort of dancing around, not dancing around, we've been sort of poking at the problem. The, the, right. all the time so as we start to wrap as we start to shift gears and we bring it on home now to 
because um, it's always about being positive here. That's something we, we strive for. We, we are believers. You and I have conversations like these because we believe that there is, there is a, a positive outcome that can be had, not just from the conversation, but, but looking forward. Right. I think we're both optimists on some level. So in matters of the media, in the, this theme that we're discussing today, where does, what is the opportunity for the media to improve? How can the media improve? And side question, I guess, is can it improve? Yeah, I mean, they literally are two different questions because it can improve. The problem is, do they want it to improve? And that's the problem um, because the way it improves is at the top, right? Um, I forget the head of CNN's um, news corporation. And obviously everyone knows the Murdochs and, and their affiliation with Fox. Um, but these guys, and, and there's an LA Times piece about the eldest son of the Murdoch family leaving for differences, especially relating to the news division, right? How we're covering things, right? The first thing that some, uh, that, that one of these corporations has to do is strip down the news, right? Change the format, like I mentioned. Opinion journalism has now become, you know, commonplace, right? The 7 to 10 p.m. primetime viewing windows have become built-in audiences, people looking for distinct anchors. And they're looking for those anchors because those anchors have opinions that are like-minded like theirs. And they're wrapping that around a piece of news, so the, the first thing, you know, if somebody tomorrow was like, we're going to make you the head of our news division, right? <laughs> okay. Oh, I don't accept the job. But if I were to take the job, the first thing we got to do is we've got to look at the construct of all of our shows, right? That air on here from the morning programming blocks, right? Where people are waking up, making breakfasts and things like that, you know, um, and I encourage people to watch the morning show on Apple TV plus, um, obviously the newsroom. While those shows, you know, there's a little bit of drama within them, those shows really give you an insight as to how it is like in these control rooms, right? You have these executive producers, right? You got the head of the news division, the executive producers of these shows, and then you got producers of that, that actually work with the anchors. And they're all trying to build a show, right? What needs to happen is we need to have better anchors that start to remove their opinion right? And just actually do the news themselves. John Stewart has a famous YouTube segment that circulated with him on Crossfire. I believe it was with Tucker Carlson and Paul Bagata, who was a former um, Clinton, it worked in the Clinton administration. And he argues about CNN's relevancy and how they really give it a fake, you know, perspective because they do, and I mentioned this earlier, the three block, right? Here's the anchor. Here's somebody on the Republican side. Here's somebody on the Democratic side. We're going to go back and forth. We're all going to talk over each other. It's migrated away from that. But to some extent, the evening shows, and especially you can watch it on CNN with Don Lemon, he has a four box, right? And there's four. You can't moderate five people properly on a small television screen and expect in a five-minute segment for all those people's opinions to come out. So the format of, of the actual programs themselves need to change. The anchors themselves need to start to, to separate themselves and their opinion from the actual reporting of the news. I encourage everybody to kind of watch, if you really want to take a look at 
what news reporting looks like at these big three. Watch between 10 to 11 a.m. on the Foxes and CNNs and MSNBCs where it's like, you know, you get Bill Hemmer on Fox News and you get um, you get Poppy Harlow uh, and uh, on, on CNN. You get actual Brian Keeler. You get actual people that are just reporting news, maybe a guest in a segment. But while you want that type of commentary, you really want to give people the actual news with an expert lending opinion to that news, right? They do it in sports, right? We, we have former players that are lending expert opinions. And so that kind of model should carry over to, to the news aspect of it. If you look at the local news cycle, right? <clears throat> the, the 11 o'clock news shows, right? You know, top of the hour, here's like five stories in a row, then weather. Then we come back, you know, three stories, and maybe like a fluff piece, like a Help Me Howard, like the Channel 11 local news. And those type of those type of segments are cool for the local angle, right? And it could sometimes dive into a deep issue, sometimes it doesn't. But the way the national news, which a lot more people watch than the, than the local, right? The way those shows are all based is not really it's all in the opinion at the evening times when they know viewers are going to be tuned in. So we really need to kind of change. It needs to start from the top with the, the heads of the news divisions, changing the formats, the anchors themselves, either hiring new anchors or getting anchors to separate journalism pieces, you know, and, and, and whether it's like, like in these television shows, like the newsroom or like the morning show where the executive producer will pull the plug on a segment, let's go to break. And here's a hard cut. It needs to happen like that because at the end of the day, they know right now <clears throat> there's two things, right? I, I want to act as a news agency, but I also want to make money. And making money is in the negative, in, in the drama that news produces, right? And so that's the problem, right? It's, it's the analogy I gave earlier about the too big to fail. They're too big to fail right now because of the monetization aspect of it. But if they were able to somehow say, look, we could still make incremental gains in the monetization part, but what we need to do is still do actual news at these periods of time where we get our max audience and still promote it out on our social platforms and things like that, then you can actually see where there's actual real news. But the problem is now in this age of Trump, how do we rebound from this? There's been so much mistrust and, and disinformation and then also things that are actual news stories, you know, being turned around and saying that that person's a biased uh, journalist, that person has it in for this person. That stuff will always live. Now it's just manifesting into an even bigger wormhole, you know, and people are, are so reluctant to trust, you know, Bob Woodward is writing a book about Donald Trump and he's, he's been in journalism for 40 years and a distinguished guy and people are like, no, he's biased a career long Republican who's writing a book <laughs> about a president and does all of these interviews on tape to, to give the transparency of I'm recording this is still perceived as bias. So I think it can, can it be fixed? Yes. Will it be fixed? No, because of the monetization part of it, it would have to take a serious um, psychoanalysis of we need to change this right now afresh clearing out and wiping the way we're doing our primetime programming versus our daytime programming, our afternoon programming, everything needs to change and the way we're messaging and the way shows are built and the way we're actually giving 
um, context of news and not having too many guests on and not having, you know, two sides of the aisle just so we can hear everybody talk through their opinion. I'll wrap today by asking, and, and I think you've, you've hit this in a couple of ways. I'll sort of re, I'll bring these back up and see if there's anything more you want to add. But, you know, when you think about how we all can, you know, improve our understanding of this situation, um, you've mentioned a couple of different outlets, you know, going to actual pl places that generate news or capture it well in the form of like AP, Reuters, Al Jazeera. Right. Um, we also mentioned NPR, yeah. NPR is the other one. You mentioned outlets. You've also mentioned shows that sort of take you beneath the curtain of what's going on, forms shows like shows like the newsroom or the morning show. Um, are there any other things you recommend that people expose themselves to to better better understand what's going on there's a there's a good documentary on netflix about the media and it takes i think in isolation like six different stories and how these stories were kind of portrayed in the media um i think the first episode was about the jenny jones scandal and how uh jenny jones's show produced a murder there was a murder that happened as a result of two people being on the show and how the news cycle acted towards this um but I, i'm a, i'm big into documentaries from you know either the netflix lens hulu HBO Max, um, a bunch of different places about a bunch of different topics. But what I encourage people to do is, and again, people, are, you know, I, I mentioned this before, right? We're, we're, we're lazy by nature. You know, here's the first thing on my dial, right? I'm in my living room, I'm in my bedroom, and I put something on, you know, remotes now come with Netflix, Hulu, Prime Video, you know, and Voodoo pre-programmed into the remote, right? To make it easier to dive into it, right? Because we're lazy. We don't want to go hit search or we have to have voice functionality to actually talk to get something as opposed to typing it. So I encourage people, if you see something that you think is, is gospel, right? Vet it, you know, because the problem is, is that you, you get down the path of now regurgitating that to other people, and it could be untrue, right? And it happens all the time. You see it in the social media, especially on Twitter, where, you know, something happened the other day with, with, with Trump making the comparison about why he doesn't call the Exxon CEO. And there's no context to it, because they shortened the soundbite, and they clipped it, and before all of that, he said, I wouldn't do this because it's illegal, <laughs> something to that effect. But they took the rest of it, and now people are retweeting it. Respected journalists from Vox, from, and I'm, I said Vox, not Fox, like with a V. And they're retweeting these things, and now it's getting out to other people, and it's, it's gospel. And we have to start stop getting in this habit of instantly needing to share something on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram that, you know, again, it's either compelling to us or we think it's, it's actual news that's worthy, right? And we need to get into the habit of, I should source this. And then, like Herm Edwards said, do, do I need to hit send? Like, should I press send? And like taking that step back of saying, is this something that everyone needs to really know? Because do I know that it's true? Um, and the other part of it is, like I said, the facts part of this, right? The arm's broken, right? We can all see it. It's a fact, right? We cannot dispute facts, right? We can't, we, like, that's the whole point of a fact, right? It's mind boggling to me to, for me to even say that. Like, it, it's a fact, right? You know, <laughs> we're talking to each other on a computer. It's a fact, right? Like, the, if you were to dispute that, 
it's very tough for me to continue having an argument or a conversation with that person. Uh, and we need to start trusting facts, right? Because there are at the core of it, there are people that are working hard at these, at these newsrooms and at these places to actually give people the news of the day that's happening not only in their local, in their state, uh, in the country worldwide that are in essence risking their lives to kind of report on stories in like different places. You know, when I was at Fox, I got a chance to um, cover Hurricane Katrina in, in New Orleans. And it's just like, there are people that are like in shoes that I was in that are just PAs that work on the show that build the animations and the graphics or, you know, actually write out the stories that you see in the prompter that the anchor's reading. Like, and these people are working hard to build news for people. So trust what you're reading, right? But if you don't trust it, or if you, if you have this, I, something made me uneasy about that, research it, take the time to research it, educate yourself about it before you recite it as gospel for others. You know, it's a disservice that you're doing to other people. Um, if you really want to become this source of truth, you know, for, uh, for certain things and make yourself sound educated, well, you need to at least research some of it. Um, um, I know a commitment for me that I've been focusing on is one is um, reading something in its entirety or watching something in its entirety before sharing it. Uh, I sometimes fall into that trap and Mike rightfully catches me. Mostly it has stuff that's usually with the Raiders, but, um, but like getting caught in the, like the emotion of like, I can't believe that this is being said. A, that it, two, yeah. A, two, that's horrible, right? Um, yeah. B, read the entire thing, you know, before sharing it out there. In general, something I'm trying to avoid doing is why share something that, something that outrages me? And again, you know, as I say all this, Mike, I am thinking that maybe we will dedicate a separate episode to social media because there's a larger conversation about, yeah. about that. Um, but I try to avoid that. Like, why am I putting back out into the world something that bothers me? And assuming I've read the whole thing, right? Right. I don't know what is that doing. Like, what is it supposed to prompt an action? If the action is just to get people to feel negatively, what is my contribution to the world when I do that? Um, and that's just, that's the commitment I, I try to make. So all that being said, this brings us to the close of our, of our first topic, the media. Uh, we went a little over, we're obviously going to be retooling this and keeping making it better, but um, awesome. Thank you all for watching. Uh, this Again, you're all probably hopefully catching us through our YouTube channel. No social media channels for me, and we'll talk about why in a, in a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for watching. Good night. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.